Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Rob, and I don't know your name, so after I count three, everybody just say your name. Okay, you ready? One, two, three. Nice to meet you. It's been such a great time at Consumed here. Um, we've had just a, a wonderful, uh, I can speak for myself, I've had a, a fantastic time with you all here just taking some time to open the word of God and to and to let God speak to us through his word. And so what is this? This is day three. Really happy to bring a third message to you. So, well, here we go. Look behind you. Look, youth, look behind you. See, there's not, not enough that know what it is that I'm doing and what it is you're doing. So we'll find out in a second. So, yeah. By the way, that, what does that mean? One way. One way. And that is that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. You see, I'll bring the rest of the church up to speed here. On Friday night, I guess I introduced things with a little bit of a history lesson. And I talked about a generation, not that long ago, it was in the 60s and in the 70s, a generation that on the outside, it looked really good. Oh, it was all about peace and it was all about flowers, it seems. And, and, and it was all about, uh, all about peace, love and even joy that they could find on their own. Uh, the flower children, the peaceniks, the hippies, the thing is underneath the surface was a profound brokenness. And that's because this generation, I think it was Don McLean in the song American Pie, talked about it as a generation lost in space. And that's exactly what it was. This generation had cut itself off from the previous generation, cut itself off from the generation of their fathers and mothers. Well, and that was because it was like these days, turbulent, troubled times where there were wars and rumors of wars, where the politicians couldn't be trusted, all kinds of stuff like that. So the young people just wrote off the older generation. And that was a mistake in its own way because God didn't invent the generations to be operating that way. He invented the generations to need each other. By the way, you can say amen at any point if your own heart is agreeing with that. Oh, okay, well, a few, that's good. One or two, wonderful. Great. Um, yeah, he didn't, he didn't have the generations with, the generations are supposed to help each other. See, the older generation made a mistake too at that time. And that is they wrote off the younger generation. And so we had a generation lost in space. Proverbs 29:18 says, where there is no prophetic vision or where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint or perish, or cast off restraint unto destruction. And that's what kind of generation it was, because they were a generation lost in space. They became aimless, drifting, and ended up just flying in every direction, casting off restraint. They were in a bad way, actually. They were in trouble. And, uh, well, here, I'm talking about that generation. I was like a kid at the time. I was alive at the time. Uh, I was uh, eight or nine years old. And uh, 
drugs ended up getting poured into that aimlessness where they were just running aimlessly or, or beating at the air and not really getting anywhere. And it was a, a, a whole drug culture that began and began a devastating chain of events where this generation that seemed like, wow, there was so much hope and, and so much of everything good, uh, it became a generation of despair, aimlessness, and lostness. And uh, I mentioned, didn't I, that Satan was on the move because there's nothing that's going on on this earth that hasn't got some kind of supernatural backdrop to it. Satan was on the move, but God was on the move as well. And right in the midst of that generation, right in the midst of the pain and the aimlessness and running in every direction. And when I'm saying running in every direction, well, the enemy was moving them in spiritual directions too, saying it's all good. It's just lots of roads. It's just like a wheel with spokes. Everything leads to God. Wherever you're going, whatever you do, everything's good. Does it sound a little bit familiar? It sounds like it's actually coming back. These days in our society. Anyways, it was like all good. And in the midst of all of that dissipation, a revelation came from God to the people in that very generation. And that revelation was this. It's not every which way. It's one way. And that was the beginning. I mentioned that this is, well, I mean, if you watch the Jesus Revolution movie, you'd recognize maybe... Uh, Chuck Smith, the pastor of Calvary Chapel in California there. Um, and uh, you might r- recognize Lonnie Frisbee as well. Uh, I-, I mentioned he was a, a broken man whom the-, the Lord used powerfully. So in the midst of this, this revelation came and it comes from the word of God. We know it. It's everywhere. Driving into Steinbeck, you see the sign. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we spent the last couple of evenings looking at the first part of that, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we learned from Jesus' teaching through the word of God a few things. First of all, that the way isn't easy. The truth isn't easy. And this life in Christ isn't easy. Would you agree with that? Yeah. For myself, four decades following the Lord Jesus, and even though it's the, it's beautiful and adventurous, the one thing I wouldn't say is that it's easy. And Jesus himself, he said that. Um, he, he, said, uh, he said that the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And not many find it. He said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Praise the Lord. So um, we looked at that fact that the way and the truth and the life, not easy. But then we looked at another fact, and that is there is no other way. And there is no other truth. And there is no other life. The word of God says we were dead. In our sins and transgressions in which we lived. Walked according to those ways. Uh, There is no other way, truth or life. And the third thing we looked at was that the way is a person. And the truth is a person. And the life 
is a person. And that person is Jesus himself. It's not a religion in the sense that it's just a set of things you believe and you live by. Jesus in this, uh, in John 14, 6, he actually brings it all down to its crux, where it all begins, where its source is. It's him himself. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Amen. Well, now we're going to move on. Now that everybody's up to speed, that was only about two hours worth of preaching I just put in there. Um, We're going to look at the second half of this, where Jesus says this, no one comes to the Father except through me. Why don't we just repeat that together? You ready? On, On three. Three. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those words just resonate through time. Uh, They're difficult words. In fact, I have this, just between you and me, and the 600 people here, and whoever's online, um, we don't live in days where this, what Jesus says here, is received all that well. Because we live in a culture these days that is inclusivity obsessed. Inclusivity is a good thing. Uh, the Lord is very inclusive in his own way when he talks about every nation, every tongue and tribe and nation. Anybody can come to Jesus. The only thing is our our own culture is so obsessed with inclusivity. It seems that a statement like this where Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. It's kind of tough to get around it. You can't even try to, you know, do a, do some acrobatics, some, some kind of uh, um, study acrobatics to make it somehow mean something else. No one. You know what that means in the Greek? No one. In fact, it's even stronger than the English. It's not even one. If you're French, then the word that the, the French use for this is null. That's, uh, that's pretty nothing. I know maybe you don't know French, but maybe you just supernaturally got an interpretation of what that word means. Null. Null ne vient au père que par moi, is what he says. Now I'll tell you, that means no one. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Well, who said that? He did. Well, who does he think he is? God? Yeah. (laughs) See, it seems like what Jesus is saying is exclusive. It doesn't fit these days. Just doesn't fit us. Makes people uncomfortable. Because we're all about inclusivity. I'll tell you, like I said, the Lord's inclusivity is that anybody can get on this way. Anybody can receive this truth. Anybody can have this life. It's anybody who comes to Jesus. Why? Well, he's God. He knows what he's talking about. When I listen to human beings philosophize and opine, that's the way you talk about, say, give your opinion. Philosophize and opine about theological things, about heaven and, and, and about God and etc. It's like, I don't know. When I listen to Jesus, Jesus is God. He knows he's been there. He's from heaven. I would listen to him when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. 
I believe that the world today is in trouble because they are they. I'm saying that only because I used to be part of the world. So did you, I'm sure. And I was part of the world, really a part of the world. I belonged to the world. But God called me out of that. And he's called many, many, many of you out of that as well. So we talk about the world as someplace we used to live, someplace we used to be, ways we used to think. The world today is so obsessed they're, they're with, with, with trying to do the right thing and be the right thing and, and, and celebrate everybody that they're running in every direction, exhausting themselves trying to do that and leaving common sense behind, I would say, too. And uh, brothers and sisters, I would even hazard to say that there are many parts of us, the church, who are in the same kind of trouble. Because, see, the church, the Lord makes us nice people. He takes people who aren't nice often, or else they're nice, but they don't like God. Takes people and, and makes them nicer, makes them better. So, as we look at the world around us, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And I think what's happened is the church, in their desire not to offend the world, has gotten into a place where we're following the world, where, the in, where there's a backup of influence. When Jesus talks about us being light, shining in darkness, which way does the influence go? The, the light shines in darkness. But I think what's happened is the church, or at least parts of us anyways, we're getting to a place where we're ready to follow the world uh, into all kinds of stuff that is the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching. And we've run into this right in this verse, John 14, 6. That's not something that the world loves to hear when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So I believe... Oh. Brothers and sisters, it's exhausting work for the church to try to follow the world. Amen? Because we're ending up not following God when we're following the world. And we weren't made that we weren't made to follow the world. We were made to, well, you know the image is a city set on a hill, right? Salt of the earth, light of the world. If we just sort of toss all of that then what are we good for in a sense? Jesus says it that way. When salt loses its saltiness or when you stick a light underneath a basket and it doesn't shine anymore. Um, we're called to be those things. So we've got to work these things out. I actually believe, uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've seen it, the church is being torn apart in these days. Large denominations are going under. Because they're fighting and wrestling over these issues about who we're going to follow, really. Are we going to follow the world or are we going to follow Jesus? I'll ask you this. Are you going to follow the world or are you going to follow Jesus? Jesus. (laughs) That's the right answer for every Sunday school question. Jesus. And it's right in this case too. We've got to follow Jesus. We We can't follow kind of Jesus. Or kind of have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. That's not going to last very long because the two are moving further and further apart. And it could get very painful. Which brings me to my shirt. I know most of you uh, maybe can't read it. So I'll show you my shirt on the screen. 
This is Rob, sporting the latest in Christian fashion. <laughs> Understated. Well, okay. Oh, no, 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 really. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's what my shirt says. And you know what? This is the kind of revival. I'm actually talking revival words. You see in the 60s and 70s, the church needed a shaking up. It needed a new revelation. Well, by new, I just... By new, I don't mean something that wasn't there before. By new, I mean renewed. It was there. It just needs to come to the surface again. needs to come up again. And I believe that the church today needs revival. How many would agree with me on that? I don't know. Just, yeah. Okay, good. At least half the place. That's good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, I think the church needs revival. And um, I believe, uh, like, I'll just say a little bit about my shirt. I collect Christian t-shirts. It's just a thing I do. It's a thing I've done for a long time. And they're great conversation pieces. I've had great talks with people I don't even know. Just about my shirts, whatever shirt I'm wearing. So I'm, I'm going to be uh, using this particular one in talking about um, uh, th- these things. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Talking about these things as uh, our need. We need to come back to these things. The alones, I'll call them the alones of our faith. The parts of our faith that are exclusive Well, it's not because of us thinking we're greater than somebody else. It's exclusive because it's the way Jesus has taught. So, uh, a little bit of background on this. These three statements, uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they're actually part of a set of five. And these are just the first three. And they're called the five solas. Just uh, say that, five solas. You just spoke Latin. That's wonderful. Latin, sola, means alone or only. So these are like the five alones. And I'm going to tell you what the five solas are. And we're going to have to learn some Latin while we're doing it. So, here we go. These are the five solas. Repeat after me. Sola gratia. Not bad, but you see, Latin is early Italian, so you have to use your hands. Okay? You ready? Repeat after me. Sola gratia. Sola fide. Sola gratia is by grace alone, and sola fide is through faith alone. Um, I need both hands for this one. Solus Christus. In Christ alone. Sola scriptura. From scripture alone. Solideo gloria. And that's for the glory of God alone. Woo! Give yourselves a hand. Very nice, very nice. Now, you know Latin. There. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. Together, these five solas, they formed the rallying cry of a revival. It was a revival that was called the Great Reformation. The Great Reformation happened in like the 1500s. And it was uh, uh, a bad time in the church. And there was great persecution because of this rallying cry. There were people that were coming up against things that the church was doing wrong. There was teaching wrong. They were drifting away from the scriptures, drifting away from the ways of the Lord. 
They were getting to a point where it was hard to tell the difference between the church and the world anymore. Again, does that sound familiar? Mm, Yeah, we don't want to be in a situation where there's no difference between the church and the world. Is there a difference between darkness and light? Yeah. Is there a difference between uh, salt and uh, steak? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the analogies are breaking down. Is there, is there, uh, a, a, yeah, light of the world, salt of the earth, a city set on a hill, a city set on a hill, you can't not see it. It stands out. And these days it feels like the church wants to hide. They want to hide itself in the arms of the world. And that is not our place in the world. So, in the 1500s, well, what can I say? It wasn't so much that the Reformation brought new, wonderful new ideas to the church. No, it was calling the church back to the foundations of the faith that existed right at the early church. And so, the church was in trouble in the 1500s. And I'll just sort of go through that quickly. Uh, First of all, they were adding human doctrines to the Word of God. They were bringing the Word of God down, just like in these days, those who call themselves, say, progressive Christians, bringing the Word of God down, bringing down its value, uh, and adding human doctrines to it. Um, For example... uh, For example, the guiding authority of our faith, which is the word of God. They were saying that scripture and the traditions of the church, that's what we have to go by. And salvation was through faith and good works. Uh, Salvation was by grace and the church. There was always an and with it. Adding human doctrines to the word of God. Worldly leadership, you wouldn't believe it. The people who were leading the early church, they knew Jesus They suffered for him. And many of them died for him as well. Now, by the time we get to the 1500s, the church had become political. And it had become worldly. So that if if you wanted to be a leader in the church, you just had to buy the position. So you bought the position and you could become a bishop or a cardinal or an archbishop or whatever. And the way they led, they led, they led like the world leads. You know, not like Jesus taught with servant leadership, where the greatest is the servant of all. No, they made the greatest as just like in the world. So there was a, uh, it, it was a terrible situation in the leadership. Leaders who had nothing for God. Um, sexual immorality in the church amongst the leaders. There were popes who had children. They had mistresses and illegitimate children. Heterosexual relationships, homosexual relationships. Yeah, we didn't invent that stuff. It's been around for a long time. In the church, in leaders in the church. Materialism, where they started thinking that, hey, prosperity, the the prosperity that God brings us, yeah, that prosperity means, man, I just get all kinds of money. And so the church began to make itself rich. And that's where it was kind of the last straw for all the people who were seeing what was going wrong. It was, uh, it was called indulgences, the sale of indulgences. What an indulgence was, was something that the church made up that is like a ticket to get you to heaven. And you pay money for it. 
And, well, they had like sort of a middle place called purgatory. They kind of invented that idea and said, well, purgatory is kind of a place where, you know, if you've been bad or whatever, you just sort of work that off in purgatory and then eventually you go go to heaven. Well, you, you buy an indulgence. This is the idea. You buy an indulgence and then that'll that'll give you a ticket to get uncle so-and-so out of purgatory and get him going straight to heaven. It was a ridiculous thing, but they were building a cathedral (laughs) and they needed money for it. So in the sale of indulgences, here's what one of their little jingles. It was this, as a penny in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. (laughs) Wonderful. People like John Calvin and Martin Luther, the, the, the people who drove, well, and John Huss even earlier on, uh, the, who drove the Reformation. They, they had a, there was a call to repentance, a call back. And that call back had to do with, it's almost like, it's almost like the one way sign that, that the, that the, the generation in the sixties, nice, that the generation in the sixties used, the, the Jesus people. Um, it was a call back. Let's do it again. Repeat after me. Sola gratia. Salvation is by, you don't have to repeat this. Salvation is by grace alone. Okay, repeat this. Sola fide. Salvation is through faith alone. Solus Christus. Salvation is in Christ alone. Sola scriptura. All authority is from scripture alone. Soli Deo Gloria. It's all for the glory of God alone. These are the alones of our faith. These are the onlys of our faith. And I can tell you, the enemy is always trying to push the church off of these and into any and every's. They don't want onlys, the solas. They want any and every's. It dissipates people. It reduces everything to just nothing. No power. No focus. And uh, the call back in the Reformation was to call call people back, call the church back to repentance. And that's where the Protestant church was born. They didn't intend it to be that way. It was intended to be uh, a spark for repentance within the Catholic church. But they didn't do that. Instead, they persecuted and killed the people who were calling out the five solas, calling the church back to the foundations of the faith. Now, brothers and sisters... I'm getting deja vu talking about this in the sense that here we are today and I believe that the church today is in trouble in the 2000s. And I'll just go through, I mean, can't spend hours and hours on this stuff. I'll just talk about it a little bit. One of the things, this is where the church today, and I'm talking about us, right? Like we're not, like the church isn't them, (laughs) Right? No matter how, how much we need to repent or how much we need to see what we're doing wrong, it's still we. We need to repent. We need to see what we're doing wrong. We need to come back. This generation, and I think you guys are a big part of it actually. You're not going to solve all the problems. But I will say this, that um, a lot of the older generation, my generation, they're becoming confused. Not everybody. There are a lot of people holding on to their faith. But I, to my grief, I'm a pastor. I've seen people I've known for years walking with the Lord, walking away from Him, and walking into the ways of the world. 
stopping looking like salt or light or a city set on a hill and starting to look just like the world, starting to think just like the world, starting to talk just like the world that doesn't honor our Lord Jesus who died for us and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation, gave us the message of reconciliation with God in Christ. That one way that we've been talking about. One truth. One life. Universalism. This is something that's kind of creeping its way into the church. That's the idea that everybody goes to heaven no matter what. That there is no such thing as hell. So, uh, you know, you can just sort of follow whatever you like. God will just kind of, it'll all come out in the wash and everybody will end up in heaven. Uh, You'd have to be ignoring most of Jesus' teaching in order to receive that. Universalism denigrates. It means it brings down or it, it, it makes it less. It denigrates the gospel of Jesus Christ. It denigrates why he died. Why did Jesus die? For our sins. And this universalism stuff just kind of puts all that to the side. So, yeah, that's one thing that's, it's a force these days. Postmodernism. Postmodernism, I talked a little bit about it over the weekend. It's a, it's a philosophy that kind of, it's an old idea. The enemy actually creates philosophies and you can see it all through the ages. Well, this one, Postmodernism, it started in the 1960s at this very time when people were running aimlessly in every direction. Postmodernism is the idea is there is no truth or everybody's true. And any opinion is just, everything's just an opinion. Um, postmodernism is having an effect on the thinking of the church. Um, another thing that's causing trouble in the church is deconstructionism. Maybe you've heard of this, deconstructing your faith. We're deconstructing our faith. And it sounds like a good thing. You know, you kind of, you kind of, you put it all on the table and take out the trash and then just pick it all up again, all the good stuff. Yeah, that sounds wonderful, but that's not what deconstructionism does. Deconstructionism, again, surprise, surprise, comes out of postmodern philosophy. Deconstructionism is the idea that you just take it all apart. And then you leave it at whatever you don't like or you don't really think is genuine or what it puts you in the center, right? You just sort of pick up whatever you feel like. It's customizing your faith, taking whatever the word of God says and going, well, yeah, that, but not that. We'll just sort of, you know, take the scissors out and cut big pieces out and et cetera. And now this is my truth. This is my faith. This is what I can stand on. The only thing is Jesus didn't teach like that. He didn't teach that that's what we should be doing. In fact, well, we just talked about it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's him. It's not a set of beliefs only. It's him personally. Now, try to, what are you going to do? Deconstruct Jesus? Take, take him apart? And then only put some of him back together again? How'd you like to do that with your friends and neighbors? It doesn't work. You take them for who they are. And we need to take Jesus for who he is. And he says some pretty uncomfortable things. If we read the word of God and take it for what it is. And he's God. He's the son of God. So 
we need to uh, get away from de- I'll tell you what be totally into deconstructionism except let God deconstruct you rather than the other way around he's the one who takes us apart throws the trash away and puts us back together again in a new way amen <laughs> praise the Lord Oh boy, if you thought it was being controversial up to this point. Um, Recent worldly ideologies and theories about marriage and sexual practices and gender. Those things, man, I'd rather not be talking about this stuff. You know, they say, how come you're talking about this stuff? Don't talk about that. Well, you know what? It's in our face. It's it's ripping the church apart these days. Are we going to just not talk about it? So, here's the scoop. Is that Recently, there are a number of ideologies and theories. And, you know, just taking them as given, granted, true. And they only like popped up in the last 20 years or so with any kind of force. That's hardly anything when it comes to history. So I'm going to give some truth and then I'm going to give some love. So if you're hurting for the love part while I'm talking about the truth, just wait because the love's coming. If you're loving the truth uh, but not love then uh, love's got to come okay so we're going to talk truth first bible says in leviticus 18:22 you shall not lie with a male as with a woman it's an abomination that's just another way to say that's just wrong yet there are churches and denominations today that disagree with this biblical command and are following the world in celebrating same-sex sex. The Bible says in Genesis 2, verse uh, 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Yet, there are churches and denominations today that disagree with this biblical definition of marriage. And are following the world in solemnizing same-sex marriage. And the Bible says in Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Yet there are churches and denominations today that disagree with this biblical description of gender. And are following the world in believing that there are multiple genders and multiple pronouns to go with those genders. I looked it up. Today, they believe there is 112 genders. Yep. Yeah. So, well, yeah, let's just sort of go back to the Word of God. The Word of God is very straightforward and matter of fact. The Word of God says male, female. There's two. And there isn't 112. All right, we got through that. Praise the Lord. Um, okay, just a second. All righty. Well, thank you for the, uh, the Jeopardy song. That's wonderful. Now, you know what, brothers and sisters, it's not surprising that the world promotes and generates these ideas. 
We shouldn't be surprised about that. The world is the world. They don't know God. They don't know their left hand from their right hand. They're trying their best to be just and good. It's just all coming out sideways because it's not listening to our Creator. The real trouble is actually when the church sets aside the Bible and uh, and embraces the world's philosophies and ideologies because it's then that we set aside our mission as well. And that is to reach out to others and tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins, transformation. Rob talked about that earlier in his introduction. Transformation, that that's what we can expect from our God. That we have sin in our hearts and we can't clean ourselves up, but the Lord Jesus can come. He saves us. He forgives our sins. We repent of our sins. He forgives our sins. And we get grace from the Holy Spirit. He sanctifies us to go on differently. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So, I'm going to talk about the love part here. Now, I just gave a whole bunch of truth. And I can tell you, if I was in maybe even this setting, I don't know. Some people might get steamed by what I just said. Because I kind of just made it so stark. And that's because it is. We talked last night about the nature of truth. Truth is a sword. It's not a pillow. Uh, sharper than any, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. But here's the thing. Jesus came, uh, in John chapter 1, it says he came full of truth. Okay, but that's only half of what the verse says. He came full of, oops, grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And we're called in the word of God to speak the truth in love. You see, our response to what's going on, we can't hate anybody. Our response can't be offense and hatred. Why? We're not allowed. Jesus doesn't allow us to hate anybody. In fact, if, even if somebody considers themselves our enemy, what are we supposed to do to them? Love them and pray for them. Exactly. So no, we're not allowed to uh, hate people. We have to figure out a way to speak the truth in love. And you know what? I don't have the answer for that. I don't think, I think our church hasn't even, the church hasn't wrestled with that question enough yet. How to speak the truth in love. The church has taken the easy way. Well, let's just pick one of those things. Okay, we'll pick love because that's the one that makes everybody happy. So we're just going to love. And we'll put truth in the garbage. Um, we can't do that. We're actually not allowed to do that either. We're not allowed to hate anybody. And we're also not allowed to throw the truth in the garbage while we just want to love people. By the way, we're not allowed to throw love in the garbage and just speak truth to people. This is the challenge of the church today. Young people, this is your challenge too. Is how, first of all, you got to know the truth and you're doing great at that, learning the word of God. But how do you speak the truth in love? There are ways to do it. If you want a little bit of homework for everybody, John chapter 8. This is where Jesus came up against a problem that was kind of a setup. Um, 
where there was somebody who was in a sexually immoral relationship and that person was thrown in front of Jesus and they asked him, hey, what do you do with this? Should we kill her or, or what? Um, so John chapter 8, that's really good homework. Read it, even if you know the story. Read it over because there's some great keys as to how Jesus did this, speaking the truth in love. Okay, well, I'm finishing here. I want to just do a little... Oh, really? Okay, I thought people were like, oh, finally. Yeah, <laughs> no, I really appreciate that. Praise the Lord. So, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to review everything. I'm going to read some scripture, and then I'm going to hand it back to Rob. But I told you about my Christian t-shirt collection, and, and I want to share some of them with you as I'm doing this. So... We're going to do the, the five solas again. So repeat after me. Sola gratia. Sola gratia. Okay. Now, I'm going to do a fashion show, and, and it's only me, so, yeah. <clears throat> why, why do I even think of these things? Okay. The sound people are wondering if this is going to work. This one did. Okay, sola gratia, and that's salvation. If you can't see this shirt, then you probably need glasses, but it's on the screen as well. Sola gratia, salvation is by God's grace alone. Ephesians 2, and if you're writing down notes, I'm going to be going fast, so just write the scripture reference. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen? Amen. Now, you're not going to get a chance to look each of these things up. So listen. Just have a listen. Let it go. It's the word of God. I'm not feeding you anything weird. This is just the word of God. Let it go in. Okay. Uh, Repeat after me. Sola fide. Okay, this is a vintage one. I don't know, some of the older brothers and sisters in Christ would maybe have seen this one. And Okay, that's right. This is part of the uh, spring line. Yeah. Sola fide, salvation through faith alone. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My, there it is. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. You guys are, you're, you're great listeners. I mean, lots of grace. I'm really appreciating that. I don't even know. There you go. Okay. Good. Okay. Repeat after me. Solus Christus. That is that salvation is in Christ alone. And I'll let you... Oh, oh you're liking this. I'm just, oh, this is good. Salvation is in Christ alone. It seems where I, where I wear this shirt, there are people who go, yeah. You know, just in the grocery line or whatever, yeah. And I forgot that I'm wearing that shirt and it's like... Yeah, we're living letters. We've got to come back to the solas, right? The, the, the onlys of our faith. We've got to wear these things. Amen? 
Okay, we're wearing it. Okay, just a second. Okay, repeat after me. Um, where am I here? Oh, okay, repeat after me. Sola Scriptura. Okay, this one's coming up. Ah, yes. Okay, bright colors. We're believers in Jesus. We're happy. You know, you've seen the people with the, you know, holding up the, the you know, on the football games, you know, they're holding up the poster that says John 3.16. This one is a, a take on that, and it's John 3.16, true story. And it's big enough to read from really far away. So I like this one. And I'm feeling, I don't know, these shirts, they weren't as tight as this when, anyways. Uh, I'm also wearing, and the last one, repeat after me, Soli Deo Gloria. And that's uh, for the glory of God alone. This one is a two-sided shirt, and you're seeing the first side of it. I actually like, when I get up in the morning and I'm choosing my Christian t-shirt for the day, often this is my choice. Yeah, well, it's all about you, Jesus, and all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. Amen. Now, I forgot to read the scripture for pretty well all of these now. Uh, Let's see, where am I? Remember this one? Solus Christus. I knew something would go wrong. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. And then it was, oh right, sola scriptura. Uh, Here's a a verse for that. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God-breathed. Oh, it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we arrive at Solideo Gloria. This is side one. Side two. It's not about me. It's all about Him. Jesus Washed in His blood, saved by His sacrifice, trusting in His word, depending on His love, living on His promises, waiting for His return. Amen. And I'm going to finish with a scripture. Oh, this is Romans 11 verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who's known the mind of the Lord, or who's been his counselor, or who's given him a gift, who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen?
Amen. I'm done. Praise the Lord.